Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Everybody and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We'd like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. Say hello, Tamara. Hi. You know what? The gates <laughs> of hell have opened over California. The wind really? is coming. It's like 110 wind out there, and, and I don't mean miles per hour. I mean heat. So we're pretty sure the world's ending tonight, so this better be a good show. It better be. And, you know, yeah. I think it will be because we have the one and only Douglas Clegg, who is uh, the New York Times bestselling New and award-winning author. New York Times. <laughs> award-winning author of more than 30 books, including The Children's Hour, Neverland, You Come When I Call You, and Halloween Man. He is currently finishing up several new books for publication. Doug is married and lives near the coast of New England, where he is not experiencing the end of the world that we know of. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Doug. How are you? Yeah. Hey. Thanks for hey. having me, hey. guys. Hey, New oh, York Times. Oh, we love having you. <laughs> New York Times. <laughs> New York Times. You know, that's going to that's that's be a news from on my neck someday. It only happened once. It happened just very briefly. <laughs> and it'll never happen again. So clearly... But to the end of the day, I'm going to beat that dead horse over and over again. Oh, absolutely. I don't blame you a bit. <laughs> you can say that till the day you die. You can because it's true. In New York Times. New York Times. I know. I, how, does, yeah. how does that work anyway? I've always been curious about that. I mean, how does that you work? You join a cult. First you join a cult. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And then, everybody, I then everyone in the cult throughout the world basically – no, I'm kidding. Um, you know what? The publisher did a lot. I I I really worked the free marketing with my. I had a, I had readers who had this was a new kind of book for me. It was a uh, epic fantasy vampire dark. It, it's horror, but it's definitely fantasy. And um and I think that the curiosity of it among the readers that I had, and I had a really large uh, newsletter group of readers at the time. <laughs> At the time, it was a while ago. <laughs> and so all those things come into play. And, you know, ultimately, I wish it meant more than it does. It's a nice thing. It helps the book. It helps, mm-hmm. um, you know, and booksellers were really supportive in crazy ways, like really great ways. The indie booksellers in particular were crazily supportive in a way they'd never been before. But part of that was, I, you know, there was outreach to them. And right. then, um, you know, so how does it work? I don't know. The New York Times takes from like 20 different places or five different places, and the back then it was different. There was no, there were no eBooks then uh, in terms of a sales market, and it was that was a hardcover, um, you know, and yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, it was a different yeah. time. That was that was 2005, I think. In you know, 2005, it's vastly changed. So I don't even know how it works now. Yeah. Um, and I can guarantee you with the amazing indie community of writers that are pub- publishing all kinds of books really well and beautifully and really know marketing and really share their tips with each other. And there's a lot of great advertising now that didn't exist then. 
it's much harder, I think, to hit those kinds of lists than it was when I was. Um, I mean, it's always hard, but and I didn't hit the top ten, so it's not like you know I'm the number two best-selling writer. <laughs> right, right. It was yeah. like I don't know. I want to say it was 23, but it might have been 27. <laughs> I just can't remember. Care was 23. Right. I tried to talk about this only with you guys because no one else is listening, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. just us. Right. We're not on the air. <laughs> no, it's just us. No, no, but anyway, so, you know, I mean, it's interesting. The USA Today list is also a, a big list, but, um, you know, again, indie writers have this amazing shot now that, again, it didn't exist. It's an amazing time for writers. You guys know this from your writing. It's an amazing time for writers. You can be as prolific as you want. You can really build your audience. You can really write the books you really want to do without worrying about a much larger market sphere, which New York publishers have, for good reason they have. Yeah. Um, but we don't have yeah. that. We can actually have a very good, I mean, you know, listen, I've done incredibly well for seven or eight years now with a backlist without producing much new fiction in that time. I mean, I'm writing new fiction all the time, actually. I'm not getting yeah. it out there yet, and I've been very hesitant to do that, but I'm going to do that soon. So. Oh, good, because your yes, books are yes. the best. Why, why are you hesitant <laughs> to do that? What does that mean? What is what? I'm sorry, hesitant? Well, I mean, it's interesting because once you have choices, like before – um, and I think Tamara can also know this because, you know, she's published in both New York and as an indie. And, and mm-hmm. so it, when there was only New York, when New York was really the option if you wanted to make a living as a writer, mm-hmm. primarily as a living as a writer, what happens is, you know, it's a very, it's tough. It's tough to get in. They say no a lot. There's a lot of rejection. And they reject things that they know are good. In fact, they'll sometimes say, I really like this, but this is not the thing we can go out with. And then yep. you as a writer go, wow, that's, it's limiting, but also it, you have to get the check. You have to basically, you know, like you're, you're making your living, so you need to sell them what they want to buy. And so mm-hmm. you then go on to the next book and write the next book and hope it's something that they will want. Whereas with the indie stuff, you know, this freedom of just writing what you believe in writing, if, if that's what you want to do. Some people write to the market, and they're incredible at it, and I admire them, and I have nothing against them because, honestly, I can't do it. If I could, I would. But I – feel that I love certain kinds of books and I'm going to write. And, and that is what I'm writing to. I'm writing to the kinds of books I want to read. And, there's, yeah. and it, I never know if it's wise or not. It's worked for me so far, but I never know if it's wise. So I've been very hesitant. And part of it is I wanted to build up a bunch of books over several years. I wanted to build up a bunch of books that were going to be finished before I put any one of them out. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what happens when you start doing that, it's very easy not to then go to publish. <laughs> very easy right. to go back and go, mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, so you know. much work. Yeah. Right. So, so, so I was I thinking. Mean, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I, today has been the whole week. It's been you know 110, and I was thinking about some of our road trips, and the one I was wishing we could take again from our early days in the 90s uh-huh. is remember the time we had to hide in the pool on, in the pyramid building on San Francisco because the Swedish oh, yeah, bikini so much- team yes. wasn't a. The, Guy, we didn't want anybody to see our bodies. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing, though. The Swedish bikini team. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were... bikini team. <laughs> yeah, we were up in the pool, you know, on the top of this building in San Francisco, having a grand old time, splashing and being stupid and all that. And all of a sudden, these... You describe it, Doug, these people. So you go, you go. Oh, they were bodies they were bodies that 
didn't look real. They were so perfect. And they get in and they're swimming back and forth, you know, and we're back there giggling. God, my tight are fat. <laughs> you know, but we we never forgot how much fun that was. I always think it about when it's hot. Yeah, it was. You know, you, you know, you know, Tamara, what's funny is I had, when I was young, I was in that hotel when it's first, within the first year or two that it was built. Mm-hmm. When I was probably in eighth grade, I think, seventh or eighth, we were out in my, we went to California lots because my mom's family was there, and we, we, she loved California anyway, so we were always out there on yeah. trips. And um, we were there the year or two. The pyramid wasn't built yet, or it was being built. It was being built. And so we were uh-huh. there, and I heard there was a rooftop pool, and we hadn't gone. We'd been there a week, and we hadn't, I had not gone uh-huh. to the pool, and I wanted to go at least see the pool and maybe get in it. I go up. I don't get in it. I just look at it because I'd never seen a pool on a roof before at that age. And then yeah. I get on the ele- elevator going down, and my sister had said, or brothers, had said something funny about a trick you play on elevators, which is when you get off, right before you get off, you push all the buttons, so whoever gets on, stuck going to all the floors. And that goes uh-huh. on like at least 20, 25, 30 floors, right? So I'm on yeah. the top floor now going down, and but I'm a stupid seventh, it was between seventh and eighth grade. I am a stupid kid. And I did it before I got off the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, holy crap, I am going to be stuck on this elevator forever. Meanwhile, my parents don't even know I'm up there. They're waiting to check out downstairs. It's going to take me an hour to get down there. But the worst thing mm-hmm. then happens. It goes four floors down from the top, and these two serious businessmen get on. Oh, no. And they see the button pushed, and one looks at me and says, what is wrong with you, kid? <laughs> And I was so terrified. I get off. I walk down the hall of that same floor, like like probably the 20th uh-huh. floor, the 21st floor. I walk in the hall, uh-huh. and there's no way out other than an exit that does no re-entry or something. But I kind of hide uh-huh. in an alcove because the elevator's not leaving just yet. And I hear the two men talking. It's like, there is something seriously wrong with that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I was terrified that they were going to come out oh. and beat me up or something. I didn't know what was going on. And San Francisco yeah, kind of sure. scared me that year. San Francisco in the early 70s, which is what that was. Might have been 70, 71. Yeah. It was kind of a scary yeah. place in some ways. Um, I don't want to go on. And too much. So what ended up happening no. is I did go in that emergency exit or the exit, uh-huh. and I found out you can't get out until you go all the way to the basement of that building. Oh, so I had oh, 21 yikes. floors, and my parents were waiting for me downstairs having checked out. Uh-huh. And it took yeah. me forever. Anyway, that's a long story. Oh, but I, I, it took me years to get over that. There's something wrong with you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we went, you got me. We we checked in and we get in the elevator. We're standing there in this elevator full of nicely dressed people, and we're a couple of writers up from LA who you know Hawaiian shirts and you know not looking too cool. And Doug says, "It's so nice of your husband to let us room together." And he to this day, it wasn't that strange, but and it was nice of him, but he liked it. <laughs> but the thing is, he he. Oh, God. Um, I giggle easily, almost as easily as Alistair. He get, Doug knows how to give me the giggles. So by the time we get to the room, I'm screaming because I have to pee because I've been trying not to laugh. And Oh, my God. That was the start of one great weekend, though, wasn't it? I think, I think you peed all over the room, actually. <laughs> Only kidding. on your I'm bed. <laughs> no. <laughs> Only on your bed. And then and then we went off to meet meet up with our respective editors and mine was at a romance convention, and I'm wearing so black. No, we, I'm we were both oh, there. We it were was both the same. Con- oh, okay. Yeah. We'd split up for a while, and 
Yeah, I I walk in that. We never talked about that. I was wearing black pants and black, you know, and I'm cool. I'm so cool. All these women in, I was, I was. And there were all these people, women in pastels, flowers, dresses. Everything was pastel. (laughs) I thought they were going to know what I was and turn on me and, you know, tear me apart and eat my liver. (laughs) it, It was the creepiest place I've ever been. Besides no, the Mormon church. Thinking, they, were always, they were probably thinking, I guess S&M Erotica is coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that a good, weird place to be? <laughs> I love it. I mean, by the way, I have a lot of romance writing friends. I love a lot of those women. Yeah. And my friend, Drew oh, Devereaux, who, who I was close to at the time, we, we lost touch over, over the years, but she was uh-huh. there. We met. And then my editor, Linda, and um, – I, I loved it, but I, had a, I have a very different relationship with the romance genre because many of the editors I've known over the years, as well as writers that are just buddies, besides yeah. you and a few horror writers, are either romance or, I don't know, there's some thriller writers that I'm pretty close to. But I love them. Ah. I mean, I, 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 oh. then again, I love a good flowery skirt, too. So Yeah, <laughs> you do. You've got the legs <laughs> yeah. for it. Wished I did. Now, uh, I love them, too, but so I walk it into a crowd of them that was scary shit (laughs) we've had the best adventures it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun the one thing i can't remember though those were were they swedish men bikini team or women that's why i didn't say i think it was both i think it was mostly men that's why i was imagining going i don't think i remember ever seeing one there i think i saw some really crazy hot blondes who we just go, who were in like orange bikini pants or something. And I was like, okay, uh-huh. I, 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 Cheryl, leave me alone for a while. I have to be alone in my room for a while. Yes. <laughs> uh, we we spent a lot of time looking at guys together. Yeah, I, I remember that. that. But we always did a, that on road trips. It's a yeah. sad pastime. It's just a very sad it, pastime. It is, but we were only <laughs> looking. And we had the real thing at home. Them. They're going to backstories yeah. for them. Oh, it's God. Just for writers. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> oh, so great. Uh, oh, boy. So. <laughs> although, although I'm not going to take too much time on this, but one other trip that I really loved was our trip to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, God, yes. That yeah, we was wonderful. We went to one of the drag shows, I think. Yes, we did. Was it, it was my first. Last? I loved it. I think it was the boy I last. think so. Yeah. yeah, and it was really good. In fact, that inspired Dakota O'Keefe for bad things. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It yeah. was a lot of fun, though. That, that was, was a fun, great uh, trip. Actually, any trip to Vegas with you was fun. I mean, any trip is fun. That was, like, yeah. really fun because it was you. Nah, back at you. Uh, one, more, one more road trip, a local one, though, Lake Arrowhead. When we got on that back road in my brand-new oh, car. Yeah, and we, yeah it was my Mm-hmm. And it was my first stick shift. And we had to back like, up because the hound dogs. I know. I was like, I don't want to squeal like a pig. I don't want to squeal like a pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was this guy back there standing in. We were going along this back road. And, and Lake Arrowhead's very nice. And you don't expect yeah. to find uh, the Alleghenies back there. And this guy yeah. was standing in his, the in the motor of his car. Yeah, the middle the of the car. It's yeah. Like, <clears throat> it's like that's how we get the sexual kinks. It's like I'm doing my car. I'm doing my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're backing up in these hound dogs. You know, right out of Christmas Story, I, hound dogs. They're it's all so nice to say and... hound dogs. I feel like they were trained wolves. I mean, those were 
pet dogs that were so vicious I couldn't believe it. Oh, it's horrible. We're trying to figure out how uh, this was a brand new car. Didn't know how to raise the windows very well or anything. I'm trying to back up without stalling, and I did. God. Like race it in reverse? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. And I've never bought another car but a Subaru since. (laughs) That saved my life once. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, Tamara, I miss those days. That was a lot of fun. I I really miss that part of California, too, because it's kind of this weird – there's definitely weird California. Once you get out of L.A., which is, has its own kind of strangeness, mm-hmm. but you get out yeah. there's like weird little interesting interesting towns, but a little weird, and I mean that in yeah. a good way. Like, I love them, but I would not want to be there after dark. No, no, exactly. Even if they're good-looking, you, go you know. Like, you go to a town, you go to one town in the mountains, and it's kind mm-hmm. of populated, but it's all white people. <laughs> and they're yes. all kind of blonde. <laughs> uh-huh. And you just go... I don't think I want to be here after dark because I, no. first of all, I think that they'll be burning. Well, they won't be fresh and say that. Um, it's creepy. It's a little creepy. And, you know, it they is. all basically have the same last name and it's this whole town. <laughs> yeah. And they all have four fingers on one hand and seven on the yeah, other. Yeah, and, I, and I mean that, by the way, you know, and frankly, probably some of them are my readers. And I really love them anyway, but it's a yeah. little after, it's like after dark. I don't know if I want to be there, but you know, I feel that way. Now that I live in the Connecticut suburbs, I also feel that way. I feel uh-huh. like this, this thing, by the way, I may write a book set in my neighborhood. I oh. can't talk about it because if I do, oh, there nice. may be a couple of neighbors that would kill me right now if they happen to listen to this. But Oh, well, we can't have that. This is like this it's a beautiful suburban neighborhood. I mean, I, I don't really love the suburbs, but I really like this one because we have the beach like 10 uh-huh. minutes away and all kinds of things. But um, it's fascinating because there's so much every – They'll hate me. If anyone I know listens to this, they'll hate me. But every everybody in their life, you know, everybody in their home has their secrets. Whatever the secrets are, they're things they don't want other sure. people to know. And it's amazing when you sort of get a whiff of them and you realize you don't really know that, what the secrets are, but you know they are there. You can kind of see it in, in interactions. And it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I know exactly the book I'd write here. But I think we'd have to be on the verge of moving when I published it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. Do it. I, <laughs> you I, need to come back a, anyway. I mean, and you guys know this as writers, which is a really horrifying thing to for non-writers to think about if they know writers. I was at mm-hmm. a party, in a Hollywood party years ago, and I was at the Hollywood party, and there was a producer and writer there, and I think it's the writer's wife or the producer's wife, and I was not really in their conversation, but I could hear it from a distance because I've got really good ears. And one of them mm-hmm. said, oh, so Doug has this book, and he mentioned the book. And then one of the others, who might also be listening, but I kind of don't care, apparently said, yeah, but don't tell him anything about your life because it's going to go in a book. <laughs> <laughs> said, and yeah, it's true. true. It's yeah. true. It does. You have to pull, you pull, yeah. you pull from, you have to make a story real, so there have to be genuine issues, even if there's ghosts in it that you are making up in that mm-hmm. particular story. You do. I, I wouldn't note. think. What do you Sorry. think? Uh, when you write something that has some element of somebody in it, do you think they can recognize it? I don't. I usually push well, it I don't too far. It depends on how you happen to zero in on something you don't even know you're zeroing in on with them. Right. So oh, that's where that secret Everybody has some inner life that you don't really know. But if you write fiction where you're like, oh, I like this aspect of what that person has been to me in some way. And so you kind of bring a character in with it. 
you know, that's a, that's a amalgamation of sort of like congealed amalgamation of various people, but you bring that person into it. And then if you happen to have fictionally created something that corresponds with their life, then they feel that that was taken from them. Even if you have no idea that that's what's happened. And I do think that happens. Although yeah. I've had the situation yeah. where I've written a book, I've written a book once where people I knew who I was close to read it and said, oh, that really horrible person, that's this person we all know, right? And I'm thinking, no, it's you, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not to so tell all, you your life. The wrong, they get the wrong people, I think. Um, yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> an interesting thing. And then there's always uh, those paranoids. Yeah. Yeah, but Assume I think everything I, is I, always about them. Yeah. yeah. And I do think the characters you guys create also, when you create characters, that's really the fun of writing to me is really, yeah. I mean, if it's a hard part of writing is breaking that wall each time of, in myself of saying, oh, I need to get to know these characters better or the book's not going to take off for me. And the more right. you get into it and the more you sort of spiral into the life of the character and the, the stories they're telling you in a weird way come up and you say, oh, okay, so yeah. this is an aspect of the mind. What happens is it becomes this absolute, not sexual, but love affair with the character you have. So it's very mm-hmm. hard sometimes to leave books because you're like, I really love those characters. I know they're inside and out. Yes. I can right. forgive them right. anything, anything. I can forgive them oh. anything because I know them so well. We do you love ever, hating um, mother so much. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever do um, crossovers? Do you ever, uh, we've had several characters that we like so much and, and, you know, they're in a book that say isn't a part of a series or anything like that, but we like them so much. We, we put them in a different book or give them an appearance. Do you ever do stuff like that? I, I don't think I do. And I think, I think that's a great idea. Actually, what I tend to do and it's similar but different is it's not with the character, but, but it's with something I invented in one story that's totally fictional, but I'm like, Oh, that can be also be in the world of this other story as this like minor thing that sort right. of adds yeah. a depth to it. So it's not a person. So, for instance, in my – sometimes I lose track of this because it's been a while. You know, I've had a lot of books. But So in my um, Harrow book, I have this idea that the guy who created Harrow was part of this sort of um, cult or occult cult of um, called the Chimera Magic or the Chimera. And I also mm-hmm. pulled that into the Vampiricon series as something that actually is actively involved in that series, because I thought, well, in the world that I exist in, in my mind, I can see that thing from the medieval period of the Vampiricon growing over the centuries into the secret society that becomes what the guy in Harrow discovered in his youth and joined up with and learned his occult practices from. So that kind of thing. I, right. I, Interesting. Um, yeah. And also, That's fun. My, sorry, go ahead. Hmm? My, my Harrow series, in my Harrow series, the house is primarily the continuing character, but again, the two characters that always, they don't haunt the house as hauntings necessarily, but they are the figureheads of what the house possibly is about, are Isis from my novella mm-hmm. Isis and um, Justin Graveson, who built the house and who was the occultist from The Necromancer. And so each of the books sort of mentions them or sort of mentions the book Isis wrote about the house. And so that's the, uh-huh. the closest I come to what you just described, which because they don't really bring the characters into other books. Um, right. And that's a series, so it doesn't really count what you said. So. Right, yeah. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually working on a, I'm working on a lot of books. 
and I hate even mentioning this. I want to mention them because I'm bursting this. You know, when you're writing a book, you want to tell the world, you want to, you want to mention sure. it, and whatever. But I've had so many years of saying, this book's coming up soon, and it happens. Um, although I'm working on all of them. But I'm working on a book mm-hmm. that I'm basically working really hard to have out in October, and it's called mm-hmm. Ghost Game. And it's set at Harrow. It's a it's a it's a short Harrow novel, not quite a novella. It's a little longer than that. It's more it's novel length, and it's uh-huh. it's really a throwback in some ways to sort of a turn of the screw situation, but not quite. With a modern story all around it, it's equally as I hope horrifying and spooky as the story from 1917, which is the action, the other action of the book, and it's actually told from a few points of views over various periods of time. It's a lot of fun to write because I really dig into these characters, who they are, try to make them, not try to make them as multifaceted as I keep working on it. You know, you just mm-hmm. dig up these things about these characters yeah. that you didn't even know could exist because that's kind of the way the, the storytelling mind works, I think. Right. Um, I think so. And the other thing, too, that I discovered in writing, by the way, which is the good thing about taking essentially 10 years before I've published another novel, is what I've, and I've, I fight with myself. I struggle with myself and a lot of things I do in writing um, for whatever reason, whatever difficulty I have as a human being, I do it. But mm-hmm. what I discovered is, and really was an epiphany and changed my whole writing nature in this past summer was I really came to the conclusion that writing is only for a guilty pleasure. Reading is a guilty pleasure. If you're not reading as a guilty pleasure, if the book you are picking up is not something that you absolutely love to read, it's almost not worth reading. And it's, right. yeah. writing is, is the same way. If writing is not your guilty pleasure, I just don't know if it's worth the trouble that you go through to write a book. But if it's your guilty pleasure, you don't mind that trouble. And so right. thinking yeah. that and, and thinking of my early years when I really got into writing, it really was a guilty pleasure. And it stopped, stopped becoming that at a certain point because business kind of got too big. So yeah. When business right. gets too big, it's very easy to lose that play aspect. Uh, yeah, right. you really need it. But I got to do. I'm very happy. With Good. It. So Good. anyway, so ghost game. I'm hoping to add it up for Halloween. I am going to come heck or high water, hell or high water. Um, I'm going to get that thing out. It's got a great cover. It's a great. It's a strange. You know, I write. I write weird stories. There's no doubt about it. It's a weird, strange, multi-charactered story, and I think it's really good. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you showed us the cover. It's fantastic. I can't wait. I know. You just have to finish it. It is. (laughs) Uh, That's always the trouble with books is finishing them. Yep. (laughs) Very hard. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. What would you, what's the fastest you've ever written a book? Well, I mean, and some have been quite fast. So when I sat down to write Bad Karma years ago, I knew, I knew I wanted to do a book that was, more like a TV show or a TV series. Like I knew I, I thought I'm going to write a book so fast. I want to see how it worked. I'd never done one. I mean, I had written books in six weeks before, but then I had to revise them a few times later. Right. So yeah. I can write a draft really quickly, but then I have to revise it later on. I have to really take a few months off before I can revise. But with this one, I thought mm-hmm. I'm just going to write it. And I think Raul and I, of course, were together then as we are now. And um, he, we, we, I was like, okay, can we do this where I literally get up, I go to write, you make breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I don't leave that office except to go for a walk every evening, and let's just try it. And so in almost three weeks, I got that book done. It was nice. everyday writing. Wow. I wrote – it's not that long, so I mean, it's a short novel. I think it's 
70,000 words or thereabouts, to, you know, which is reasonable length, but it's not that long. Yeah. And um, and every time I got to a point with a character where I thought, you know, I should develop this character more, I'm like, ah, screw it, just kill somebody. And I had a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and, and luckily I set up a story where that made sense. You know, if I set up a romantic story, it wouldn't work at all. But I set up a story with a serial killer who is, she's on the loose, and she's in love with someone, and she wants to show them their past life reincarnation story so he'll know who he is, so he'll awaken to who he was. And she uh-huh. murders people to show him this. And so, <clears throat> so it was a lot of fun. It was a bunch of, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, I mean, I'd call it a page-turner in design. I don't know if for some readers it is. But it was a page-turner in design. I knew when I wrote it in that short period of time, when you write in a short period of time, what happens is, you get this energy in there, and you feel it, and you go, oh, this has mm-hmm. the energy that I put into it, and you feel that it's going to be a page-turner, that if someone may not like it, but they will reach the end, and they will feel they had their entire story, and it moved. They didn't have to put it down. There was no point when they thought, oh, yeah. now they're talking about this with this character. I'll put it down right now. And right. I knew it would be turned into a movie. I knew, I, like, I knew mm-hmm. certain things about that book when I wrote it. I thought, this is a movie. Was turned into the worst mm-hmm. movie ever made, but it still was a movie. <laughs> oh, it wasn't that bad. I liked it. I liked it. I, I, I did thought too. it was quite good, and it did was really like, cool. Did you like, like the yeah. well, they, they changed a bit about the story almost completely in some ways. So, did you yeah. like the part where the car is burning because someone's gone over the cliff? And even while the car is burning, the paramedics have the body out, and I'm like, I hope they wore oven mitts. I mean, that wouldn't have been hot for them because the body is charred. Clearly, it was in the car. I didn't even yeah. notice that. I didn't even notice. Yeah. So, so there were certain things that I was. I mean, honestly, with friends, when I was I was living in Jersey City when that movie came out, and it was, and I had a tape of it, the studio sent me, and so mm-hmm. I would show the friends, and we'd pause, we'd be eating popcorn, and I'd pause and I'd say, "Oh, so did you notice the the idiocy of this?" Um, <laughs> You know, so there were things in that movie. There's a, there's a, the idea is there's sort of a Jack the Ripper undercurrent in it, and White, yeah, White Chapel is the name that the Capilla Capilla Blanca is the name of this fake thing I give or imaginary thing I give uh, Avalon, the yeah. island of Avalon. I mean, the town of Avalon, the island of Chalina, and um, because the connection to White Chapel and Jack the Ripper, and the idea that Spanish monks might easily name a chalk white cave after White Chapel, they might call it that. But when they mm-hmm. reset right. it, they filmed it in Ireland. But they said it. They said it was like Nan. <laughs> they said it was like Nantucket or something. And um, and I'm like, yeah. Why don't you just call it Whitechapel now? Because clearly the Spanish monks did not settle Nantucket. Yeah. <laughs> but they still yeah. call it Capilla Blanca in the movie. And I'm like, what? So it, that's that's what was the most jarring to me. It's such a California book, Southern California. In fact. It is. It and, is. And it didn't look right. It was I ironic because it. it was a source of uh, a Hollywood film company that made it, but they had a guy over <laughs> in Ireland and England that had that was their, their deal of where they were going to film. So anyway, yeah. so, so one of the worst horror movies ever made, but on the other hand, it, it's a laugh riot at times. And Patsy Kento was wonderful in it. I feel terrible for her. I felt that <laughs> this, she just, I think she was married to and had just gotten divorced from the lead singer in Oasis. And oh. she was she had sort of semi-retired when she, when she had her kid, and then she was getting back into the business. And I'm like, oh, they just thank her. Because she was great in it. <laughs> I really <laughs> liked the movie, honestly. I, I, <laughs> I did too. And I can't blame the other actors because I do blame 
whoever engineered the movie because it's not really the actress, the other actress fault at all. I don't think it was weird. Yeah, it had a weird dubbing in it. My other can I can I go on a little bit? My, oh, my yeah, other favorite part of the, the other my other favorite part of the movie was in the opening when she's at the asylum for criminally insane or the hospital for criminally insane, and the doctor, the psychiatrist, and his assistant are looking through the window. The assistant says. Wow, she's she's really physically changed since I looked at the file photo and the, and so they because they had a body double so they actually had a literal body double where you see her if not her in the opening scene the opening scene uh-huh. is like pure softcore porn kind of it's like uh-huh. softcore porn in the book the opening scene which is similar not the opening scene but a scene that they're they're using in the movie she's 11 years old but in the movie it's like a 30 year old actress who has no problem taking everything off. Right. And so, like I'm like I know they're trying to sell this to teen boys or early young men, but clearly that woman is not Patsy Kensett later. Right. But they covered it by saying yes, she had plastic surgery to disguise herself or something. Oh, how funny! It was hilarious. It was. I mean, there were various things in it. That, the one addition they did to the movie that I didn't have in the book, and I actually thought, wow, that would have been good in the book, was they had a scene where she goes and picks goes into a lesbian bar to pick up her double so she could basically off the double. And I was like, wow, I wish I thought of a lesbian bar. That would have been great. <laughs> In the sense that, you know, you know, yeah. you know, for lurid movies, they, you know, the, listen, he made it like a lesbian bar I've never quite seen. But mm-hmm. um, for, for lurid story, that's actually like, yeah, kind of like, you know, because then they might have sex and it might be. Um, yeah. Whereas in mine, it was just a woman at like the Kmart or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, so, that was very cool. But on the other hand, the book was three weeks, and that I think was the shortest time it's taken me to write a, a novel. And then I think, mm-hmm. in general, honestly, some novels take—I've been working on a few novels for years now. I mean, literally, I go back to them several months a year. So if you add it all up, it's probably like two years out of ten I've worked on certain novels that I think are good. <laughs> but for some reason. The energy it takes. I have to go. I have to pull back from this now, and I'll get back to it. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, the Priest of Blood took me forever. I wrote the Priest of Blood. I started it in 1991, 93 or something. Wow. And then I showed it to some editors in 94, and the editors, a couple of editors, who looked at it, said, "It's a good book, but this is not the genre that's going to we're, we're going out with anywhere." And then yeah. ten years later, ten years or eight years later, I sat down and finished it, and then it went out. It was good. So nice. What nice. about you guys? What's the, short, what's the shortest? What's, what's the quickest you've written a novel? Oh, Alistair, just—he's got one coming out this month. That I he did. I, yeah, six weeks. It's yeah. Well, great it was too. actually yeah. It was it was actually um, uh, so I most of the time I take I don't know six to eight months i think alejandro Mm -hmm. took over a year but there's so much going on in between time but um the fastest i did was the last one the sleep savannah sleep i did that one in 25 days um it was yeah but but it it was it was different though because the whole the whole plot came to me uh one night and i had it all mapped out and so it was just like sitting down and writing this scene and then crossing it off. Okay. Now this scene crossing it off. Cause I knew exactly what was going to happen. And yeah. I don't think that'll ever happen again, but, uh, and then of it course, it, 
it might, but it took like, you know, several, you know, revision, you know, uh, you have to do a lot of revisions. Um, that was really skeletal, but it was the first draft was in, yeah, 25 days. And I, I didn't sleep a lot, yeah. but it was pretty fun. No, I mean, we it, read, was, it was, yeah. Took a lot of rework, Yeah. We read but, that through, but boy, you did such a good job. Cause the second draft was incredible. Yeah, and the third is even better. The, the, yeah. the cover looks great. Yeah. The title's great. It, lo- it looks really good. So it's interesting because um, that 25 days is, is a really nice pace if you can do it. The one problem, as you know, with writing is there is – when you're saying you didn't sleep much, there is an exhaustion when you apply yourself to a book. Yes. And there's a, there's a good exhaustion when you can pace it, and this is why taking longer is often more appealing. You can pace it so that you can have days off or you can have – a life right yeah and that's writing i mean the problem with writing a book though is it's in your friggin' head 24 hours a day it's always there it's like sitting there going get back to me you think about this don't enjoy life think about this there are problems you have to figure out with me don't look at your fun part of life you need to (laughs) look at me and that is where play comes into it i mean i do think that one thing that I sort of turned around in my life with my writing, not with my writing, but with my attitude towards my writing was I really said, I just can't be so serious. I, I love this. I've been doing this since I was five years old. I've been typing stories and novellas since I was eight years old. Clearly this is, and I didn't get paid back then. So clearly this has been my thing for play since I was very young. And so right. I really had to learn to get back to that and just go forget the business, forget everything and just enjoy this thing because someday we're all going to be on that bed with puree dripping out of our teeth. And the last thing we hear is going to be someone say, get the pillow and unplug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was waiting you for don't, something really profound. You don't want to have that moment. You don't want to have that moment and say, I didn't play enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, although and you, you know, will say what I say, right. what I say is, on my deathbed, the only thing I absolutely want to say is I should have slept more. That's what I want to say on my deathbed. <laughs> I should have slept more. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Alistair, I think it's network, network break time. Oh, yes, uh, it probably yeah. is. Uh, let me take a we moment. We always forget what you did. I, I know, we get going. Uh, let me just take a quick uh, moment to remind everybody that you're listening to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com. Or if you tweet, our handle is at thorncross. We also have a Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) I always do the dun, dun, dun. When I'm done, I know. Um, so, so what's the longest you've ever taken on a book, Doug? Oh, yes, I've had a few. So, and I feel like I, I don't hold the record because I know writers that take, you know, I think take longer. Actually, there are plenty of writers that take longer. Um, so, I took You Come When I Call You. I started in 1988 or 89, somewhere in there. 88, I think, just before my first book came out. And it was, I got it to 700 pages, and it wasn't quite done. 
And so I, mm-hmm. and things happened with my publisher. Books got turned, like, they wanted another book first, and they, there were some delays. And this was going to be, like, a big book from them, and they achieved me very well, actually. And so then <laughs> I finished it, turned it in, and it was probably 1,000 to 1,200 pages. Maybe that's just a thousand. A thousand pages, long book. I knew it was going to be cut. I knew it was going to have to figure out cuts. But then there were some delays, and eventually it went out of contract with that house. Meaning they had it for a while. They were supposed to publish it, but other things internally were going on with my editor and the publisher and how their the direction in the house. And it was right. delayed long enough. And I even gave them an extra year or so. And then finally, I had to take it back. I took it back because I couldn't just leave it indefinitely. So then I, but in that meantime, I didn't have a copy anymore because I wrote it with an older computer system that was like giant floppy disks. Those were ruined and unusable and the old computer didn't work anymore. By the time I got it back and they, the publisher was missing like 300 pages from the manuscript. And I didn't oh, wow. have the manuscript. So I didn't wow. know my files, I didn't know my files would have gone bad and they did. I didn't know files were bad back then. And so yeah. what happened, what happened next was, so then I had to reconstruct what was missing. To and I mean I'm actually pretty happy with the reconstruction. And then eventually I sold it. So it basically, the, the time I started, that's a long story towards nothing. In 1988, <laughs> 89, I began it, and then I don't think I finished it till 1999. So 10 years. But it was you know I worked on other books too. Yeah. I worked on. And similarly, Priest of Blood took almost 10 years. I think from in fact it was 10 years from. The, writing the first 100 pages to writing the whole thing. And then there was, oh, and then there's a book I've been working on. Oh, my gosh. So there's this book. There, I mean, there are readers that hate me for this, and I don't blame them. So there's, <laughs> it was supposed to be a novelette of like 7,000 to 12,000 words. Cemetery Dance pre-sold it um, 10 years ago. And I feel terrible about this, by the way. And I started writing it, and I didn't like what I was doing, so I threw it out and tried three or four different storylines. I didn't like it. And then I started this one storyline, and I thought, okay, this is it. So I thought it would be a novel. We're now talking three or four years out of when I really should have been turning it in. And this is terrible for me to say, no publisher is going to want me again. So, so <laughs> I'll say it. But I'm a truth seller. You know, I live my truth. So, <laughs> so then this story started taking me over, but I wasn't satisfied with how I had done that novella, and it wasn't quite complete yet. And then I started writing more and more, and what happened was I ended up with what's now a novel that's incomplete still that I still have to write a bit more on. I thought it was going to come out called Mr. Darkness. I thought I'd have it out last spring. I had a pre-order up, but I had to pull it because I just didn't. It's weird. Something had not come together. I threw out a bunch of stuff. I, I think I threw out 150 pages last spring. I was like, this isn't exactly what I want with this book. I'm not a perfectionist, so it's not perfectionism. It's not wanting this book to be the ordinary book it would have been if I had just left those pages in. So right. yeah. I, I did love those pages that they needed to be thrown out. So um, so I still have that to finish. I, was, I, I hope that when I get Ghost Game done, I will go right back to it and finish it. Mm-hmm. But that's taken, I mean, honestly, thinking about, you know this, like you think about a book. Writing is not just writing. Writing is also how your mind gets occupied with a story. And it's almost like having... People, not people in your head, not that crazy, but there are people in your head in a way that they're just sort of like they're there, you know they're there when you're, when you're doing dishes, when you're out with a dog, you know right. that, so mm-hmm. just, you're still trying to figure things out. And so that's, a, that's really taken 10 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, um, yeah it's, it's, that's, that's kind of always been, you know, my experience. That's why the, 
last one, Savannah, was, was so unusual. Um, it just came all, you know, in one night. And But otherwise, yeah, it's sometimes I'll be halfway done with the book and it'll start changing, you know, my ideas of where it's going to go. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. But yeah, it's, it's, I think every book is kind of its own, has its own kind of personality and comes in its own time. I would okay. prefer more of those 25 day ones like you just had. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. If I could do that every time, can you imagine? That'd be great. But the thing is you mentioned something about um, that kind of uh, exhaustion. I have had yeah. the hardest time since then getting going on anything. It's just, it came out really hard and fast. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I'm glad that it happened, but I'm still recovering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A... We, we, normally, we always have our collaboration going on at least one, usually two, and, you know, a solo a piece. And, yeah, that, that slowed us down a bit, but, you know, it was worth it. But well, you know, it, it is worth it, it's because the only thing I've found for recovery besides, like, normal life and trying to – be sociable with people that you meet. Where I'm, I'm not always that sociable when I'm really involved with the book because I'm kind of right. horrible looking. I don't shave every day. And like a neighbor comes over with their, I, mean, I love these neighbors, but they come over with a baby and I'm like, oh, look, a new baby. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not brushing my teeth today for you or shaving because clearly yeah. my mind is in this book and you won't want me to get near your baby because it looks like I have like flies around me or something. I mean, so, it's like, <laughs> so, so I haven't slept and I should have slept because I really. You know, people in your neighborhood think, my neighborhood think, like, I do really nothing all day. Like, they just mm-hmm. see me in my T-shirt and sweats out in the yard with the dog playing. They're like, oh, it must be nice to live that life where he does nothing all day. When, right. in fact, <laughs> I'm putting in all this time. If I'm not writing, I'm actually, if I'm not writing, I am suffering under the writing. And if I'm not writing, I'm trying to read stories that, uh, make me have fun, like make me remember yeah. the excitement and fun. Right, Not just right. inspiring, serious fiction, but fiction that literally I go, oh, my God, this is like eating chocolates. I love this. And right. that gets me back to writing or a movie like that, where it's a serious movie in a certain way. Like it's, I don't really like, well, I do like lighthearted movies, but I, I mean, I like dark movies with gothic trappings <laughs> to them, which oh, yeah. aren't necessarily fun, but they're fun for me. And... um so I think that I try to get back into that. And to me, that still becomes work because that mind, you know, there's like that mind that writes mm-hmm. has to be played with. It can't always yeah. be work, work, work. So that's the right. only way I know of that recovery, that sleep. And um, I'd say brothels, but I don't know if I should. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't mean brothels. <laughs> don't, you go, don't go to brothels. It's a horrible sure. I don't go. I just make <laughs> jokes at the, at the brothel owners. Well, speaking of well, having fun, that, what do you think of the new? Uh, what do you think the new is? It is going to be a lot of fun. I'll oh my god! So I can't wait for this, right? Everybody in horror loves the book mm-hmm. or Stephen King, or or is terrified of clowns, or wants to be in that sort of childhood story of terror, which was really a fun thing when you're a kid, no matter how scary you are. Oh yeah, it was always an exciting time. Mm-hmm. And so, as long as, you know, you didn't have a dead or in some cellar somewhere with some crazy priest or something. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> it was fun life stuff. Like the shack in the woods, you think the old man's going to shoot you at and he's really a demon or a goblin or something. Right. So, <laughs> right. so, it's, so it, I, I think, I, I hope it's as good as it looks. I mean, certainly they've done a great campaign pre-marketing that movie. Oh, yeah. And it looks like a lot of fun. It looks the right kind of scary and stuff like that. 
I, it'll be interesting to see how close things like um, the ending are to the King book. It'll be very interesting right. to see how yeah. they play the story out. And it's, it's just yeah. it's a two-hour movie, right? It's not a series. It's a two-hour movie. Correct? I think, yeah, it's just a regular movie, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be very and, interesting and I don't know how they're going to do that, you know. I think it's going to be two movies. I'm not positive, though. I haven't read about much. But the kids first and then the adults. Kind of like the original miniseries was set up. Yeah. But I'm not positive, yeah. right? And I mean, I mean, I know some people love the original miniseries. I didn't love it. I mean, I liked Tim Curry. I thought he was a great scary clown. There's certain things mm-hmm. I liked in it. But I also felt the adult yeah. stories were a little ant, the way the, the show played out. Um, yeah, I watched it last night. Yeah. 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 I mean, By far. Um, I, I can't wait for the next one because I got so sick last night. I watched the entire thing. And that, no, you're so good at making noises. I'm not. The, the violin squeaking. I dreamed it all night long. Yeah. All night oh, that, long. I could not get just, rid of it. Is that just like the, the score, like to make scary moments of violin sound in the show? Yeah, it's 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 not the waltz music. That's kind of cool. I like I still like that. But it's that, you know, and it starts out right when it first, I can't. You're, you're so terrible at that. It's great. Oh, thank you. I was doing it on purpose. <laughs> no, but it's, interesting yeah. how, it's, it's interesting how music in horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, one of my favorite, listen, I will always be bowed down to this story in this movie, and I've certainly pulled little homages from it in a couple of books. Rosemary's Baby, which to me, that book and mm-hmm. movie, both really phenomenal, except in the movie, the one problem with that movie, and it's wonderful complete representation of that book in, in a very smart way, well done way, beautifully acted. Um, but the one problem with it is there's a late 60s, early 70s, like jazz horn vibe. They interrupt that yeah. like two or three times, and I'm like, no, edit that out. Take it out. It sounds oh, so dated. It ruins the mood. What? Who yeah. that? I'm oh, sure it was God, a great, you're so right. Listen, I'm sure it was a great jazz player and so I'm I, I am a Philistine to even say that about it. I'm sure it's some great horn hornist. What are they horny for horn horny horn horn something? Car- so, um what? He's laughing so hard I couldn't tell what you're trying to say. <laughs> Hornalicious? But the thing is, and it is I mean I'm sure by itself it is, but in those scenes I'm like going oh, my God, this just threw me completely out of the scene. Now I'm thinking I just yeah. want to shoot that trumpeter. Um, <laughs> but that's the only thing about it. Like, everything in that movie is so perfect. And I'm sure at that moment, listen, that was a great, maybe horns weren't used much at that time, and it became this great uh, thing of bringing sort of a modern, brassy sound into these moments in uh-huh. the horror movie. But I really thought, oh, God. Oh, can't that be edited out of the track eventually? Seriously? Yeah. Um, but that's when old, one old movie that Alistair and I just both love is, um, well, the book is better, but The Sentinel. Are you into that one? So, oh, listen, I'm sure the writer's a great guy, so I'm not going to – I think the writing was fine. You know, I think the story yeah. is fine. I read the book and I saw the movie. But in the movie, yeah. the problem with it is, I mean, listen, if hell is a bunch of lesbians masturbating each other, I'm all for it. Oh, yeah, like, that was hysterical. Hell is like, okay, there's people having some – you know, albeit gothic sex or something, mm-hmm. but it's like it doesn't seem as hellish as I imagine. I'd be like, that's the hell I want to be in, kind of. I want to be like, great. You mean I'm going to have more sex in hell than in life? That's fantastic. Yeah, really. <laughs> right, right. So gross. Uh, I mean, what's heaven like? Are they all like going, oh no, 
get rid of all your genitalia when you come up here. I'd be like, oh, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, that was gross, but I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I don't don't, don't, recall of it was I only saw it once. I saw it in the theater. I remember Christina Mm -hmm. Raines gave her usual muted performance. Muted. You're so kind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, she's horrible. Oh. I know. Her performance ran the gamut from A to A. Um, And so it was one of those... (laughs) Um, and you know she's a, she's beautiful. She was great in some other movies, so it's not, it's not, I'm not trying to give it too much of an insult to that because no. who am I? I couldn't. It was bad. Why it would was I very bad. Yeah. But on the other hand, was it was it Beverly D'Angelo was in that? Yes. That yeah, she was the younger, she was like, the younger lesbian. She was yeah. that great funky Warhol esque actress, Sylvia Miles, I think. Is that her name? Who plays the woman yeah. that she's with in that movie? They were like literally. I'd want those demons in my house. I would be like. <laughs> I would, I would rent a room in that yeah. townhouse where the sentinel was. I'd be like, let me just, just get a room. I don't have to go to hell, to. but I'll be on the yeah. verge of hell. I'll just live on the verge of hell. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah, like I don't think that's one where, we ever watched. It's not like the exorcist where, you know, like the devil is just all about vomit. That sentinel was like, yeah. Yeah, I've been to parties. Kind of evil like that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's uh, one you and I never watched. What's that? Um, Sentinel. We had such great movie yeah, we nights out here. Together, but we watched great movies together. I miss those. I miss those yeah. goldfish margarita bowls and horror movies. Oh, nights. my God. Oh, yeah. I just That was something. The last I mean, one so, I remember was Dog Soldiers. Yeah, that's a really... Remember that one? Yes, it's good. It's a, it's a rough, yeah. sort of nasty show. But to me, my favorite is still going to be Scarecrows because... It makes no yeah. sense, and yet I was terrified the whole time. Yeah. Well, the special didn't help. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not sure there's literally a plot in that movie, but it doesn't matter because they really got the idea of we're going to do creepy and get creepier and nastier and rougher, and we're going to go for spooky and creepy, and that'll scare people. And it scared me. I thought it was – especially it worked, because I was drunk. Yeah. Yeah, that, that helped too. But, yeah, I remember sitting there in the dark scared to death. That's great. Good I know. Time. All right. So, so we're starting yeah. to run out of time, Alistair. No. You should ask this man some good questions. Yeah. Um, but. All right. Uh, what? Where do you see yourself, Doug, in five years from now? Does that just involve a funeral by any chance? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You have to be. You have to be alive. No, no. I. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I. Well, you know, I always want to bet on a sure thing. Um. No, I, I think I think in five years, I'm still going to be right. Well, listen, here's my fear in life, my, my actual fear. My father got Alzheimer's at 65. That's several years away still, but not so far away that I yeah. can't see it approaching. And now there's no, you know, listen, I mean, I get it. He had other things going on even in his 50s that were not Alzheimer's, but might have been indicators of early beginnings of little things. And so mm-hmm. it could be that, you know, in their various other circumstances, it's Alzheimer's a very odd thing to diagnose. I mean, that often I, Alzheimer's is mistakenly diagnosed from other things. So all that aside, I always think, yeah, there could be a 50-50 chance I get Alzheimer's. In fact, in my family, that's the only thing that I'm really worried about because everything else that anyone got and died of in my family was all like uh-huh. some, chance, some chance meeting. Like my mother got E. coli when she was recovering from hip surgery, and that's what uh, five years later oh, killed her. So, oh, wow. so the thing is, so she didn't have any, like, diseases that were taking her, her away. 
And so it's one of those things where that's the only thing I'm worried about. And so my fear is going to be that in, in, at, at 65, or like if I'm lucky, if it's also 65, 67, somewhere there, that might have been 66 or 67, but that, that I won't be writing again. And that's my only fear. And so my, my hope is that in five years, I do bring out all these books I've worked on for 10 years. Most of them, I mean, I think I have pretty much close to a million pages of finished work. Well, not finished mostly finished, mostly novels, some novellas, that I'm hoping I can bring most of them out in the next five years, just in case I don't know what happens after that. And really, in life, you don't really know what's going to happen anyway. I I could get hit by the bus tomorrow. So Alzheimer's may be nothing. You know, I may (laughs) die and I may die and go into the Sentinel hell place and Beverly D'Angelo may be there going... (laughs) Yeah, you know, you weren't going to get Alzheimer's anyway. And I'm like, but you were going to get hit by a bus. So, <laughs> so that's my only, my only fear, and that fear motivates me to some extent to finish these things because I do like what I'm writing. Um, I have several books that I've been working on that I think are really great books, really good books, among my best. And so I want to get them out, but, um, mm-hmm. but it's very, I'm very slow to finish a lot of these psychologically. That's fine. Yeah. As long as you're still making progress, I'm excited because I can't wait to read some of these. Um, I am still going through your, uh, your, you know, backlog. I'm. You're a good writer, Doug. I gotta say, I really like it. Yeah, I mean it. Isn't he great? Yeah. Yeah. Really. My copious backlist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and you have one on sale right now, Halloween Man. Oh, Halloween Man's on sale for 99 cents an ebook at many ebook stores. You can go to douglasclegg.com backslash special to get the links to those stores or just go to your favorite bookstore and see if it's there for 99 cents. And then yeah. um, the uh, other thing about the books I was going to say was what's been really amazing to me as Tamara, you know, is that, mm-hmm. and you, you both know at this point, but Tamara knew it based on her backlist that she was able to put out as an indie is it's amazing to me. So there are six books. All of my books are still selling and have been for the seven to eight years they've been up online. And these are books, some of which were written 30 years ago. But they're still selling yeah. because in these genres, like horror, horror mystery, the obviously historicals, and a few other genres, there's no such thing as a trend, really. I mean, there may be trends, no. but for these mm-hmm. basics of the genre, the people always love, like haunted houses, like, right. and they don't yeah. care when a book is written as long as it's readable and it's a story they want to read. Right. So it's right. a wonderful genre. When we were, when Tamara and I were starting out, the horror genre was kind of horror genre was kind of fizzling as the enormous mega genre it had been before. Yeah. And really, if you look to the future back then, I would have been like, I don't know, horror is kind of a weird thing for me to write in. It's what I love to write. I'm yeah. going to write it, but clearly, mm. it's not like the mega seller that these other things are at this moment. But now looking right. back, I'm glad I did because some of those mega seller moments, the books that they were they were writing within that genre to sort of like jump on that bandwagon, do not last. They're they're there's yeah. genres that people don't you know, westerns people can go back to any time because westerns are in their historical period. They don't care when those books yeah. are written as long as they're right. good. Right. So it's been a, a great thing with that is that you know, this is the great thing about the indie books. And New York publishers are doing this too. They're bringing out a lot of backlists. There's a lot of things, material available for readers of these of their favorite genres, which is nice. Yeah. Right. So, right. Yeah. All right. Well, 
before we let you go, tell us again what your website is or where you would like uh, listeners to find you at, and okay. we'll let you go. So, so definitely douglasclegg.com, D-O-U-G-L-A-S-C-L-E-G-G.com. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, as always, it has been a pleasure. You are our... Indeed. Yes, you are you our... Both. Yes, we. Ad- I love you too. I adore you. You are excellent. Prove it. <laughs> yes, we should all three take a road trip together. You pervert. <laughs> He'll do yeah. anything. Right no, no. He will. I know, but <laughs> that's right. why we love him. <laughs> For the listeners, uh, this is mm-hmm. uh, Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live, and we have been talking to New York Times bestseller Douglas Clegg. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you for joining us. Good night, everybody. Good night. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.